soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Charlie King has been performing music since he was four, eventually finding a home with folk music. A lifelong Roman Catholic, he morphed from a Goldwater supporter in 1964 to an anti-war protester by 1967, and he's been an outspoken voice for peace and justice ever since. He's done a lot of solo performances over the years, but prefers to team up with other musicians, including his wife, Karen Brandau. Charlie King is my guest for today's Song of the Soul. Well, Charlie, thanks for joining me for Song of the Soul. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You're at your home over in Massachusetts somewhere. Where exactly are you located? Well, we live in a small village called Shelburne Falls in the foothills of the Berkshire Mountains. You do a fair amount of your time out on the trail. How much of the year are you actually gone from your beautiful environment? I would say somewhere around 150 days a year. It used to be more than that, but I'm trying to slow down a bit. And when you travel these days, are you usually traveling alone, or is this a duo that's going out? I've almost stopped doing solo work. I'll occasionally do a solo concert, but for the last nine years, I've been traveling with my partner, Karen Brando partly because Karen has been staying home the last year. Her mother has been quite ill. I've been working with other artists, as I have over the years. So I work in duos, trios, quartets, and I'm even part of a six-member revival band called Bright Morning Star. 
How far back do you go with music? Were you one of those prodigies at the age of four playing concertos or whatever? I don't know if you could call it a prodigy. Uh, at the age of four, I was singing Ragtime Cowboy Joe at family parties, usually in an appropriate outfit. My family liked to sing. My dad and I, who didn't always see eye to eye, both loved to sing. It was one of the few things that he and I could do together peacefully. And as I got into the school system, I joined choirs, I joined glee clubs, I played in musical theater. Every chance I had to sing, I did. Then, I guess it was probably my sophomore year in high school, I discovered the folk music revival, 1962-1963. You mentioned not seeing eye-to-eye with your dad. Uh, Is this just generalized? Is this a religion? Is it lifestyle because you became associated with activist causes? Were you not part of the same union? Well, that's an interesting way to phrase it. No, my dad and I were not part of the same union. As a matter of fact, I worked for my dad during the summer, which was the first union job I ever had, working as a steam fitter. But he had made a pretty long economic and ideological pilgrimage away from the days when he was a union steam fitter. He was an independent businessman. And I would say a more appropriate answer to the question would be that my dad was a kind of a captive of the McCarthy era. He really believed the politics of the McCarthy era. He really believed that America was teetering on the brink of being taken over by communists. And he felt that the war in Vietnam was a battleground against encroaching world communism. And so it was probably the Vietnam War that was the most divisive thing between my father and I. I became a religious conscientious objector, and he felt that that was a bad choice and a dangerous thing to do in America. If you were a religious conscience objector, were you uh, affiliated with some particular church, or was this just a, a general statement of your beliefs? Well, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and I still practice in that church today, although I call myself a roaming Catholic, because I tend to, to be pretty promiscuous in where I'm willing to go and pray. But it was as a Catholic that I applied be a conscientious objector, and that was very good for me because it got me in touch with a whole wing of the American Catholic Church that I hadn't known about growing up, the Catholic Worker Movement, Dorothy Day and Peter Morin, the Catholic Peace Fellowship, the Fathers Berrigan, and the whole growing Catholic resistance to the war in Vietnam. Well, the reason I invited you here today, Charlie, was to share with our listeners the music that has been part of your soul's journey, your spiritual journey, which sounds like a pretty exciting one. And I've certainly known your music over the years, over the decades. What song would you like us to start out with? Well, how about Step Into the Holy Circle? It sounds good to me. How is this part of your spiritual journey? Is there a specific holy circle that you did step into? Oh, Good question. (laughs) Um, The context for writing it was sitting in my backyard on a day quite like today, feeling very insignificant in the great scheme of things. I mean, doing exactly the wrong thing with the beauty of the universe, 
feeling less in comparison to it rather than feeling great in union with it. And a voice in my head, which I have decided was not my own voice, I'm not capable of this level of wisdom, (laughs) answered the question of, you know, am I really this insignificant and worthless? Answered the question by saying, you step into the holy circle. That's what generated the song. I guess where it makes sense to me is that I do believe that I am at my best and I come into some kind of meaning in the world in community with other people. And visually, I I see myself in circles of people sitting in rooms with other people who are trying to solve problems in the world or solve problems in their own personal lives, groups gathered for prayer or worship, walking on picket lines in a circle or uh, being surrounded by a group of people who might come to a concert and sing with me. And So I guess those are some of the visual images I had when I was putting the song together and trying to make sense out of that message in my head. You mention in the song, essentially, that you had tried to resist entering into the holy circle, that you had discounted, that you had not chosen to get into it. Did it really feel to you like that kind of transition from, no, I'm not going there, to, yes, now this is where I belong? I don't think the song was a a journey of transition. I think the song was kind of a narrative that describes that transition. I naturally resist change out of fear of the unknown or out of clinging to my own vices, my own addictions, my own sense of the way that things should be. I think that's where the resistance comes from. For me, that's very often a very isolating experience, that the best way not to change is to avoid everybody else in the world. So stepping into the circle did mean opening up to the wisdom of community. I think we've kept him in suspense long enough. I think we better listen to the song. The song is better, actually, than the description of the song, I think. That's why I write them. (laughs) Good enough reason to listen to it. Step into the Holy Circle by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Charlie King. There's about a billion little critters in a teacup. It's about a million light years to the wall. Got me wondering what kind of heavenly mainframe Gonna keep track of every sparrow that falls Gonna get to know me enough to love me I was lost in such inscrutable thought Come step into the holy circle That's the simple little answer I got I step into the holy circle I find friends waiting for me I step into the holy circle I get wise and I get free All my life I was meant to be there All my life I had turned away I stepped into the holy circle Goodbye lonely yesterday Would you really like to drive yourself crazy? Here's a very easy way to do it, my friend Find the one thing you're bound to fail at And you do it over and over again There is help, but you've got to ask for it How come I could never figure that out? I step into the holy circle That's the ticket they were talking about I step into the holy circle I find friends waiting for me I step into the holy circle I get wise and I get free 
All my life I was meant to be there All my life I had turned away I stepped into the holy circle Goodbye lonely yesterday Rolling right back to the first stargazers Stretching all around the skin of the world You're gonna be amazed where you find your neighbors Every boy, yes, and every girl Everybody looking for the genuine item Everybody searching for the safest way home Everybody trying to fill a hunger inside them We were never meant to make it alone I step into the holy circle I find friends waiting for me I step into the holy circle I get wise and I get free All my life I was meant to be there All my life I had turned away I step into the holy circle Goodbye lonely yesterday I step into the holy circle I find friends waiting for me I step into the holy circle I get wise and I get free All my life I was meant to be there All my life I had turned away I step into the holy circle Goodbye lonely yesterday I step into the holy circle Goodbye lonely yesterday That was Charlie King's song, the first one for today's Song of the Soul. It's called Step Into the Holy Circle. Sounds a little bit like a revival to me, Charlie. When you go out and do a concert, is that what you're aiming at? A little bit of a revival? Well, I do think about a concert as a kind of emotional and spiritual journey. I don't have a good picture in my mind of what the geography of a revival looks like, but I definitely have learned a lot from people like Pete Seeger. I guess he would probably be a primary model for me and know the power of getting a room full of people singing. So I never put on a performance without the serious intention of getting people to sing along with me. And I never put on a performance in which that's the only kind of song that I do. I usually do songs that are kind of thoughtful and narrative, songs of grief, songs of warning, and intersperse them with songs of humor, satire, and a lot of songs that would involve people singing. You know, Step Into the Holy Circle is a good example of that. I always try to get an audience to sing that with me, and they seem to be willing to do that. Well, where should we go from here? What's number two for your Song of the Soul? Maybe we could try that song, You Can't Buy Me. As opposed to a lot of singers out there, when you write a song, you, I don't know if it's almost always, it's, it's very frequently, you have real people, real events featured in your songs. You've got real stories there. And this one starts out with a grandson of a slave. A. Philip Randolph was a extremely important labor leader and civil rights leader, first half of the 20th century. He was the architect of the March on Washington, where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech, and a very important figure in the development of labor unions for African Americans and civil rights. And did you actually meet him? Did you participate in that march? I know you're a few years older than me, but were you there? I was not there. 
and I at that point in my life it wouldn't even have been possible for me to be there. I was still pretty much in the shadow of my dad's politics, which were influenced by conservative right wing thinking that thought that Martin Luther King was a communist or a dupe of the communists. So it, he was on the wrong side of the Great Divide, and I wouldn't have gone to the march in Washington. In 64, I was working in the Barry Goldwater campaign, so that'll give you some idea of where I was at politically. Why did you specifically choose this song, You Can't Buy Me, for your song of the soul? How does this fit into your spiritual journey? I think that a big part of my sense of what it means to be spiritual person in this day and age is to be engaged with integrity in a culture that really wants to strip that away, a culture that at so many levels wants us to be thoughtless consumers, a culture, a political culture that tells us that if we are questioning or speaking out against the status quo, that we are somehow very suspect in a culture that defines patriotism as a kind of unquestioned flag-waving. So I feel like it's essential to the religious and spiritual life of people today to define themselves over against that commercial, militaristic culture. This is a song about several people who had the integrity and the courage to stand out in solitary witness against the dominant culture and, and the, I guess I could only say the evils of our culture, you know, what Martin Luther King called materialism, racism, militarism as being the, the three key vices in our society, and I wouldn't question that today. And so here's a song of people who saw through that culture and challenged it and lived a life of courage to give us a better vision of what we could have. A. Philip Randolph, born in 1889, just 23 years after Congress finally freed the slaves. He organized the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters back when organizing unions was a fast track to the grave. Old man Pullman tried to bribe him with a blank check and a letter said it's good to seven figures soon as you and I agree. Randolph sent a check back with a note that stated simply you could buy my parents but you can't buy me. You can't buy me. No, you can't buy me. You may own the government, make the laws and pick the president, but the last word in the argument is you can't buy me. Natalia Dimitrik of Ukrainia State TV was a signer for the death upon the six o'clock news. When the anchorman said, Candidate Yashchenko is the loser, he assumed she would report that, but she silently refused. The results are rigged, she signed instead. Please do not believe them. I will not interpret lies. Perhaps the truth will set us free. 
she sparked a general walkout of journalists by saying, You may own the media, but you don't own me. You don't own me. No, you don't own me. You may own the government, make the laws and pick the president. But the last word in the argument is you don't own me. One person at the bottom stands in solitary witness. Like Rosa Parks, believe in segregation could be stopped. The underdogs who fought him know the emperor is witless. When the system comes apart, it will unravel from the top. I don't even know her name, an old woman on the corner. Downtown Kansas City on the first day of the war. Her sign must have been four feet tall, stating her position. And though passing drivers cursed her, her words could not be ignored. God bless the people of Iraq. The message she had written made me think of them as family, not some faceless enemy. And having no illusion, she could ever stop the slaughter. Said I may not change the system, but it won't change me. It won't change me. No, it won't change me. It may own the government, make the laws and pick the president, but the last word in the argument is it won't change me. Cause you can't buy me. No, you can't buy me. The last word in the argument, you can't buy me. That was You Can't Buy Me, Charlie King's Song of the Soul, is what you're listening here today. And Charlie, I think that your music has not aimed at being a commercial winner. I mean, you haven't played the kind of songs that just panders to the mass market for music. Have you consciously chosen, hey, I'm not going to sell out and not let them buy you? No, I don't think so. I think it's been a very easy matter to avoid fame and fortune. <laughs> With pretty rare exceptions, I think that people become successful in art and entertainment by learning to cleverly market themselves. I'm not very good at that. That, I think, would be one reason why I'm not a more successful commercial performer. I mean, part of it is a lack of skill. Part of it is not placing an enormous value on it. I think one thing that has affected my professional work is I've been real unenthusiastic about feeding money into the endless wars that seem to characterize American history and at this point in our lives. So I've tried my best to keep my income at or below the taxable level so that kind of there's a built-in disincentive to earning. I really feel like I'm doing what's appropriate, but I, I don't believe that I am 
hiding my lamp under a bushel that if I sort of decided tomorrow to go commercial, I would sort of burst forth with all these successful songs. I think I've done the best I can the work that I think I was made to do. Well, that only speaks well of you that you were following your true vocation and your true leading. Well, where should we go from here? Where else is your Song of the Soul going to take us? Well, maybe I can turn this around. I remember that when you first contacted me, you expressed an interest in a song called The Whole World's Lover. I have not sung that song in probably 20 years, and so let me interview you and ask what it is about that song that has kept you more interested and in touch with it in those 20 years than I've been. Well, that's a good thing to turn it around on me. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you, Charlie. Well, this song impressed me when I first heard it uh, back in the 1980s, but just recently... My wife and I were doing a workshop at a National Quaker Gathering. We were doing a workshop about the divine in relationship. This song just seems perfectly, even though it seems to refer to Jesus in there, it seems to refer also to that part of us which uh, we've got a shell around. Uh, From my personal point of view, it's something that I have been naturally trained to do as a male to kind of, you know, shield my heart. So it talks about opening that in relationship and opening it with my partner and opening it with the divine. And so it was absolutely perfect for the workshop that we are leading from my point of view. So any of those reasons why you wrote it? That seems really on the mark. And when I was reviewing the song after talking to you, Uh, I actually didn't remember it that clearly, but I do think that it is in the context of a personal relationship that the song was written, and then the song kind of opens up into a broader context. But I think that it starts off by saying pretty much what you said, that we've learned, I think especially as men, to guard ourselves very carefully, and that to be open and loving and vulnerable feels like dangerous ground for us, and we tend to avoid it. So, you know, I think your observations are pretty insightful and probably as good an introduction to the song as I could come up with. The song is The Whole World's Lover, and it's by Charlie King. If I were the whole world's lover, if I'd open wide, not taken cover, if I could only find it in me to give you time, And give you shelter I know that it would be much better for me and you But I've a shell that hasn't been broken Haven't found the thing that'll crack me open And it's your good grace that keeps me hoping we will see it through I just can't help but think of the risk I'd be taking Something in me says I'd be made whole in the breaking Would not be forsaken of the life I'd be making I've been thinking a whole lot lately Of a man who healed by love and faith Man who paid a price so great that he won the right, the right to say that 
each other's thoughts and insights and reading. And then when I'm on the road, I mean, next week, uh, Karen and I will be singing at a Lutheran service. I've been the minister or celebrant or whatever you call it at Unitarian services, and I feel pretty much at home in most settings in what would probably be called the liberal wing of Christianity and Judaism. How do you come about that connection with Judaism? Primarily through my marriage to Karen. She is Jewish and in the process of rediscovering her Judaism as an adult, and I was in the process of rediscovering my Christianity as an adult. It was very clear to me that one link that she and I could build on and this goes back to what I said about Jesus as an historical reality, as, as a figure who functioned in history as opposed to that image of Christ, which is a little bit more nebulous for me, that Jesus lived all of his life as a Jew within the Jewish community and that his teachings are basically aimed at reforming a Judaism in crisis under the Roman Empire and under the double burden of a wealthy aristocracy within Judaism that collaborated with Rome. I think it's kind of irrefutable that to read the life of Jesus is to learn about Judaism. And in some ways, I think Judaism at its radical best. I guess for me, the link of comfort or familiarity would be Jesus, that I am probably more personally comfortable with Jesus as a manifestation of God's grace within Judaism than I am as the founder of a new religion, which I, I don't think Jesus came here to found a new religion called Christianity. Uh, although my primary identification is the Catholic Church that I was born into and raised in, it still feels very natural and very easy to participate in Jewish prayer and worship and study. That's a lot of rich territory that you've covered and are covering. And we should continue to cover territory here with respect to the music you picked out. Where do we go next on your Song of the Soul? Well, how about Pour Yourself Out in Love? I can get with that. How did this one come part of it? Did you have a, an epiphany that uh, led you to pour yourself out in love? <laughs> I mean, again, you're raised male, so we're raised not to be vulnerable that way. Yeah, I guess an epiphany is a fair word for it. The occasion for writing the song was uh, not dissimilar. I, I hadn't really connected these two songs in my mind in this way before, but not dissimilar from the place that I got the idea for writing Step Into the Holy Circle, which is one of a kind of self-centered fear or self-centered depression. That I, I can't even remember why I had sort of settled into a pretty deep funk. And at some point it occurred to me that the anger, sadness, depression, whatever I was feeling, was pretty voluntary. I know that's not true for everyone, and I know that depression can be something completely out of people's control, but I also think that sometimes a lot of us do sort of sink into a deep funk and put up our feet and pour a mug of coffee or a glass of wine or something and just sit down to enjoy that funk. I'd sort of run to the end of my rope with this particular funk. And I was sitting in a class at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And I realized that I wasn't getting anything out of the class because I was just so self-absorbed. And I got up and I walked out of the class. I don't think I've ever done that before. I tend to be fairly 
submissive kind of a guy, you know. And I walked out of the class, and I walked home, which was going from 116th on the west side to 4th Street on the east side. So I, I, I don't know, probably five miles, I would guess, just walking on a beautiful day through midtown Manhattan at a great pace. And I got home, and I was just very energized. And so the song kind of came out of that, that sort of realization that maybe we don't have to be so debilitated and self-absorbed. Maybe we do have the option to uh, turn things around and pour ourselves out. When wherever you look, the view is appalling, the villains are winning, the heroes are falling, when all of your life needs a good overhauling, when the end of the tunnel is dark. You gotta take the hard facts from wherever you look You gotta boil them soft in your pressure cooker Sometimes you're so sad, you gotta try happy Pour yourself out in love You go out with a frown, you find trouble waiting You worry some busyness, a workshop of Satan This world is a sweatshop, needs recreating But we're all working overtime I invite you to take an unscheduled vacation Participate in a life transformation Sometimes you feel you must dance to survive Pour yourself out in love Love, 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 my friend Pour yourself out in love Love, 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 my friend Pour yourself out in love You say you're looking for love Why don't you live it? Don't wait around for another to give it Turn yourself on this melodious pivot And you'll find your face in the sun This world doesn't need another go-getter So be a go-giver, you'll find it much better I tell you, you get much more than you give When you pour yourself out in love And then sing love, 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 my friend Pour yourself out in love You can sing love, 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 my friend Pour yourself out in love Can you believe this song grew out of sadness A worrisome downtime of self-serving madness When I hit bottom, I opted for gladness Not knowing how high I could bounce Ooh, I had emptied myself out as a worrisome grunt So I filled myself up to the brim of the tumbler Then wrote this song to tip myself over And poured myself out in love And I sang love, 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 my friend I poured myself out in love Now you sing love, 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 my friend Pour yourself out in love Pour yourself out without hesitation Give of yourself without calculation This very smart world lacks imagination And we're boring ourselves to death I invite you to take an unscheduled vacation Participate in a life transformation Sometimes you feel you must dance to survive Pour yourself out in love And then sing love, 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 my friend out in love you can sing love 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 my friend pour yourself out in love love my friend pour yourself out in love
Pour Yourself Out in Love. Charlie King is the author, the songwriter, the singer, and if you're lucky, you get to have them come to your town. Of course, if they wanted to find out what's happening with you, Charlie, where would they go? Well, in this day and age, I guess the easiest thing would be just to go to a website, charlieking.org. I think if they go to charlieking.com, they end up with a realtor in Ohio, and that might not be a bad thing either. But Karen and I have our stuff up on charlieking.org. And with that kind of lead-in, what song should we do next? Well, I guess the Baboon song. Tell us about the background on this Baboon song. Uh, Karen actually uh, talks about experience that it's related to. It came to you, though? The story came to me in the mail. Someone who had been at one of my concerts sent me a news article and said, thought you might like to write a song about this, and he was right. It's uh, the result of research done by, among other people, uh, a man named Robert Sapolsky, who's at Stanford University in California. He had studied the behavior of this baboon troop that had gone through this dramatic change in its lifestyle, found that that change continued over several generations, which is pretty remarkable because at that point it was behavior that was learned and passed on to the next generation. Uh, The idea that a group of baboons could go from warlike behavior as the rule to peaceable behavior as the rule in one generation seemed to me like something that other primates could emulate. And so projecting this onto the human species and our ability to change, because after all, we've all learned that animals just operate from instinct. They don't think. They, they couldn't possibly change their being just by decision-making. Does this uh, baboon troop, does it, do they become matriarchal? I think what happens, as I understand the story, the dynamic within the baboon troop changes. They move from the standard, which is a few dominant males run the show through violence, dominance, and submission. They change the rules so that what made that community click, that troop of baboons click, was positive reinforcement, sexual favor or sexual availability, and basically caring for one another, whether or not that makes them matriarchal. I think what it does is it takes away the trump card from the dominant males, that a male comes into a baboon troop from outside. They don't allow males who are born into the troop to stay because I guess that creates an inbreeding problem. So I guess what happens is when a male walks into this particular troop, they are read the riot act or the non-riot act or whatever. They're told, we do things differently here. And so... I haven't really thought about that question about matriarchy, but it does seem like the male behavior that had dominated this troop was now no longer in operation, and so males were less able to dominate because they weren't able to play to their strength, which is physical dominance. Might be a lesson for the future. Right now, it's a song for us. The song is If Baboons Can Work It Out, and you'll hear it here performed on their CD, On the Journey. Are you ready for a better way to be? There's an answer swinging in our family tree. Everybody lives more fully when there isn't any bully. If baboons can work it out, then so can we. 
Now, this is a true story. Baboon troops are known for being violent, hierarchical, and male-dominated. So when a tragedy wiped out the most aggressive males in one baboon troop, the survivors generated a new, more peaceful culture. That happened 20 years ago. All the original members of the troop have died off, but they taught this cooperative behavior to their young and to new males who migrated into the troop. So they've created a new way of life, and we figured that if baboons could do that. Are you ready for a better way of Are you ready for a better way to be? There's an answer swinging. There's an answer swinging in our family Everybody tree. lives. Everybody lives more fully when there isn't any bully. If baboons can work it out, then so can we. Act one, a culinary bungle in the wilds of Kenya. A tourist camp there in the jungle serves a toxic menu. They throw their garbage in a heap. The alpha baboon males compete. The prize they win is poison meat. They die like alpha men do. Are you ready? Are you ready for a better way to be? There's an There's an answer swinging in our family Everybody, everybody lives more fully When there isn't any bully If baboons can work it out, then so can we Act two, the female ratio doubles in the ape assembly Surviving males who want no trouble Take their places humbly Instead of dominance and subjection, mutual grooming, group affection. It's the natural selection for this baboon family. Are you ready? Are you ready for a better way to be? Here's an answer. There's an answer swinging in our family tree. Everybody lives more fully when there isn't any bully if baboon. Now 20 years have passed, they're still cooperating. New males arrive, they're learning fast. No fighting, we're all dating. Stress is lower, hearts are stronger. Loving more and living longer. Hop in line and join the conga. Time for celebrating. Now a human bully's harder to defeat. I mean, you You can't can't just send the White House poison meat. But But you can march, sign a petition, organize a coalition. Hey, hey, ho, ho, we say Rumsfeld's got to go. Cause everybody lives more fully when there isn't any bully if baboon. Can work it out, then so can Bush and Cheney? What a quandary. Better put your trust in Gandhi. Baboons can work it out, and so can Papa's eaten all that spinach. Oh, he should have voted for Goosenage. Baboons can work it out, and so can him and her. And you and me, as smart as any chimpanzee. Baboons. Baboons. Can work it out and so 
see if baboons can work it out. Charlie, that's a song of hope for the future. You know, we can work it out. Have you seen the concrete signs that lead you to think that maybe we humans are choosing a same intelligent path? I would say yes and no. I'm always puzzled by the enduring reality of war in the American story. You know, I read Catch-22, and one of the key characters in it who simply wants to leave the war. He wants to be relieved of his duty as an army pilot. Theosarian, I believe is his name. And he just, when I read the book, it just made such absolute sense to me. He wasn't really acting out of fear. He just didn't want to do it anymore. He didn't want to get in a plane and fly somewhere and drop a lot of bombs on people. And I thought, like, well, yeah, why not? I find it discouraging to realize that after the experience that we had in this country in Vietnam, both with trying to win a war that we ultimately lost, even though we were a mightier country, and also having the simultaneous experience of seeing it rend the fabric of American life and cause enormous conflict here in this country, that we would learn a lesson from that, you know, like the baboons learned a lesson. And yet we seem to be just walking down the same road. You know, we have a, uh, at least one presidential candidate saying that, you know, this could go on for another 100 years. So that's really discouraging. On the other hand, it took more years for an anti-war movement to build up during the Vietnam War era. It seems like uh, resistance to the war in Iraq and the development of a peace movement and the development of a consensus among people in the United States that the war should end uh, happened much more quickly and with less loss of life on both sides than happened in Vietnam. That's encouraging. You know, you look at, as we hardly ever do, the Korean conflict where nearly as many people died in Korea as died in Vietnam and in a much shorter period of time and there was virtually no popular movement against the war in Korea. So I think that it's encouraging to know that there is a kind of enduring resistance to war, an enduring presence that wants to challenge war as an endless reality in the American story. And it's discouraging to realize that somehow the people that make decisions continue to turn to war as an alternative. So yeah, there are signs of hope and there are signs of despair. And the most desperate sign of all is that lives and civilizations are destroyed while we're trying to figure it out. So where should we go for the last song for your song of the soul, Charlie? Well, I very often end a night of music with one of the first songs that I wrote when I started writing, Our Life is More Than Our Work, written in 1977. And I was living and working at the Community for Nonviolent Action in Voluntown, Connecticut. We were working on disarmament issues and quite specifically in eastern Connecticut working on the building of nuclear submarines, especially the Trident submarine. I had heard a union official from the Machinists Union talk about job blackmail, talk about how angry it made him that for a machinist to work in Connecticut almost by definition meant that they would be working in the military industry, they would be making weapons of war, that to want to work as a machinist meant to be a tool of the war machine. I was going to sing at a rally in Connecticut coming from here
here in the Berkshires in Massachusetts where I'd been rehearsing with Bright Morning Star. I was driving down the valley, the Connecticut River Valley. It's very beautiful, and the weather was very beautiful. I'm, I'm just realizing for the first time as we talk of this here today that all these songs are coming out of bright, sunny days. I guess I don't write much in, the, uh, in stormy weather. But anyhow, this song, it just came to me as I was driving down the highway in the car, and I sang it at the rally that day. But basically, it looks at how our need to earn a paycheck controls our lives and suggests that there's more to life than a paycheck. And it also reminds me as I'm driving down to this rally that here I am on a Saturday getting together with a bunch of people who have given up their day off in order to come together and to call for an end to the nuclear domination of nuclear weapons and nuclear power. It's called Our Life is More Than Our Work. Charlie King is singing it for us right now. Look all around you, say look all around you. See all there is just to be alive about. Look all around you, please look all around you. See all there is just to be alive. Oh, I like is more than our work and our work. and bosses, investments and losses. How can we measure our living in numerals? Time clocks and bosses, investments and losses. How can we measure our life in these ways when our life is more than our work and our work is more than our job our life Our life could be, feel how our life could flow. If just for once we could get into letting go, think how our life could be, feel how our life could flow. If just for once we could let ourselves go. Take a dive. We got a universe. We gotta keep alive. Let go what holds you back. Close your eyes. Take the dive. We got a universe. It's fighting to live. Oh, our life is more than our work. And our work is more than our job. And you sing about our life. Our life, our life is. Work to do when it's more than any job. Let me 
That was Charlie King, today's Song of the Soul guest. You can hear more music by Charlie, not to mention his collaborations with his wife, Karen Brandau, or with Bright Morning Star, on my upcoming Spirit in Action interview with Charlie, and also on his website, charlieking.org. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy. Sing out a song of 